Welcome to the Heart Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K52UX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. You have tuned in to Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is episode number 442, <laughs> which is also a nice Oldsmobile that I wish I had. And uh, this will be our deep dive episode. We had a weekender about a week back, and we had a short topics episode. So now we do our long topic. And before we get into that, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so let's get right into it. We've got a good group in the live chat tonight, so should be lively, and maybe we'll spark some interest and conversation as we move along here. But when we were discussing topics, we decided that we might want to do a little bit of a talk on databases. And I called this, I, I changed the original title of the episode from Databases for Logging Applications to the 30,000-foot Zen of Databases, because we're going to talk not super in-depth because the topic of databases is a Marianas trench of information, but we do want to give you some tools to be able to use databases maybe in your day-to-day lives, especially as it might pertain to ham radio applications like loggers, for example, which is a primary type of application which uses back-end data storage. So we're going to talk a little bit about what kind of storage they use, what the benefits and detractors are from those different kinds, and some tools you can use to manipulate data outside of the main applications. So that's where we're going, and hopefully we'll provide some sort of useful information. The first kind of database that we want to talk about is one that most people should be familiar with because it's not really a database per se, but it's the idea of storing information in flat files or file system files, just, you know, like text files or JSON files or XML or whatever. Although it has, as, as we research this, the, the folks who generate applications for logging who store information in flat files tend to do it just as flat files, like tab or space separated data fields, stuff like that. They don't do anything fancier. They don't do uh, structured data like XML or JSON. So, Bill, what do you know about flat file databases? Well, they're really flat. <laughs> you know, flat earthers, they're basically the same. <laughs> no. no, flat files are really good if you're, uh, you know, especially if you're just doing a very simple logging program or you're just trying to, you know, store some information in a fixed kind of format. Uh, you know, a comma delimited file, a CSV file, probably a lot of people deal with those or maybe even like a semicolon delimited, delimited file or, you know, there's a zillion different delimiters that you could use uh, for separating data. And then you also have fixed field format, which basically means that the data is structured in a way that you have string lengths or character lengths for each column of data as you're storing it in this flat file, which of course you can open up with a text editor. Um, you, you have like, I need 10 characters for my call signs. I need, you know, another 10 characters for the frequency. So you could always expect that the data would start and stop within those 10, 10 characters. And then applications that you build upon that data or that read that data can then transform uh, that flat file into some other export. Uh, loggers are real popular for doing this. They all, you know, have to export out to an ADIF file, which is another flat file format, but it's structured data. It's an XML format. 
Um, another uh, format that we're all familiar with in ham radio is the Cabrillo format. The Cabrillo format is uh, a contest-specific uh, format, uh, but it's structured data. It's fixed fixed fields uh, of size and length and stuff like that. So, um, so that would be probably the one that you've seen the most if you even use a modern logging uh, piece of software that has a you know, full-blown you know relational database sitting behind it. Um, but uh, yeah, they're uh, they're they're good. Generally, uh, generally you're not going to deal with a lot of corruption in those files, only because you're opening the file, adding a line, you're always doing an append, and then saving it back. Um, you, I mean, you can end up with uh, uh, problem data. Uh, another issue with uh, flat files is if they get too large, they become very, very slow because there's no, you don't get any indexing or anything else from that flat file. It literally has to scan anytime you search that that file for, like, let's say, a call sign. Let's say you're doing a dupe lookup, but you have your entire log in a flat file. You know, say thousands and thousands and thousands of contacts, and depending upon how many columns of data that you're keeping in that flat file, um, you do run into a scalability issue uh, for actually being able to read that data back and forth. And once it gets too large, you could run into an issue of corruption, uh, which would not be very good (laughs) for corrupting your entire log file um, just because you you went over whatever whatever the uh, file size limit is for your uh, particular system, and especially if you're on a small system and you have like a two gig, <laughs> two gig flat file. Yeah, it would it would crunch crunch and munch the file. Uh, some of the logging applications that we found that uh, that have flat files formats that you know are pretty popular are Xlog. Um, that's definitely in the uh, the Ham Radio Pure Blend packages. Uh, Tuknak, uh, which we've uh, reviewed on here too, which is that VHF contest logger, which is all cursor space. It's kind of cool. And then TLF and. Uh, what did we find out about TLF? Wasn't that like a was that kind of like died off from being edited <laughs> or updated? I don't. I think it was fairly current, but it's certainly not like that's the, that's the Pearl today. one, right? Was that the Pearl one? No, QLE was the Pearl one. Oh, QLE. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Again, yeah, we're, we're looking we up a whole we bunch of them today. about QLE. So <laughs> okay, we won't mention QLE, so don't look it up. It it's on Pearl, but it doesn't work anyway. <laughs> one thing i will say is that when you talk about data corruption that's where having a delimited file is better than having a column delimited a column length delimited file for example um because it's if you have if you have an actual delimiter it's much easier to recover data or to pull data out or to scan data because you have a hard piece of you have a hard piece of data that you know um, is it is delimited on the mm-hmm. only time that becomes a problem is if you want to store whatever the delimiter is in a field yeah yeah you know, depending that, on that your format yeah but yeah, depending on your format you either have to put it inside of quotes or you have to escape it so you have to handle that from your application side uh, both reading and saving that that file so yeah especially in your comma delimited stuff because you end up with commas sometimes in your notes let's say you Adding some notes uh, about a QSO, and you say, "Oh yeah, uh, he had a you know an IC710 and blah 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 blah, comma his weather was this, you know." Um, yeah, you'd have to be able to handle that when you save it into a delimited file that's comma delimited. Uh, you'd have to well uh, most likely encapsulate the entire field in quotes, and then you'd have to handle reading and writing that 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 proper CSV format <laughs> for a delimited file. So uh, yeah, and and like you said, Russ. Uh, I mean, if it does get corrupted, a lot of times the delimited files you can recover some information out of it because it'll be yeah, not not totally wiped. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, one of the things that's nice about flat file databases, regardless of their format, is that if you need to manipulate the data outside of the application that it was written in, it's really easy to do that because it's a simple matter of using a text editor. And uh, you have all of the data right there in front of you. There's no encryption. There's no compression. There's no, you know, generally speaking, none of none of that kind of stuff. Um, at at the most, it might be like zipped or something like that. But easy enough to to extract and and manipulate data just just with a text editor, change whatever you need to, whatever. We you know once we get into talking about actual databases that actually use you know tables and columns and 
maybe binary encoded files and things like that. They're a little harder to work with and a little harder to, to see the data, but flat files give you the data representation right there in your face and very easy to manipulate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like it was a Ted said, you know, only use VI. <laughs> you can only use, you cannot use Emacs or any other editor. You can only use VI to do the, the editing of your, uh, your text files. <laughs> oh, I, I do everything in Pico. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought it was Nano, wasn't it? <laughs> well, Pico, Nano, whatever, yeah. Or Ed, Ed, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Edlin. Ed. Or worse, yeah, Edlin. Yeah. Okay, well, one or line. even worse than that, a Microsoft Edit. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, that's probably good enough for flat files as as data storage. Um, it's it's great for simple proof of concept stuff, but uh, again, you're gonna run into issues with scalability and 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 stuff like that. Um, the rest of these things that we're gonna talk about, and, and we're not. We're not saying that anything that we don't mention is garbage, because <laughs> there, you know, obviously we talk about the database world. There's a million, 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 million different kinds of databases. You know, NoSQL, RDBMSs, you know, relational database database management systems, um, with all varying degrees of of stuff that that you know that comes along with and baggage that comes along with. The things we're looking at are stuff that. Uh, current logging software that you can go out and download right now has and uh and i I did want to make mention that that a database file in general so most of the database store themselves in a single file on your file system and all a database is is basically just another file system on your file it's like having a compressed file system on your file we just call it a database because of the type of data we store in it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but generally, you can kind of think of a database file as an actual file system all by itself. This is why you need a special utilities to mount them or connect to them and to use them, <laughs> You know, whether that be an API layer or an application. So the first one of these databases that we're going to talk about is uh, fan favorites. Oh, yeah, no, SQLite. SQLite is... Uh, an amazing database? No, it's not amazing, but it's a it's a really nice. It's a great for uh, you know small to medium sized projects. Uh, gr- perfect for a logging piece of software. Um, it's small, it's fast, self contained. Uh, is high is is highly reliable. Uh, does have uh, you know very common uh, database um, uh, protections in it. You know. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. And it's fully SQL compliant. Woo-hoo. So you can use SQL, which is a structured query language, which is what we all look for when we want to do database work. We want that select star from table name. <laughs> we want it to work just right. Um, and like I, like I spoke about, the, 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 the advantages of a SQLite database, of course, are that is a single file. It is small. It is fast. But... It's fast until you've made it too big, <laughs> and then, and then it starts to show uh, show its uh, show its size. That's why I say for a very small small to medium sized project is is perfect for it. Um, as you get as you get to larger projects and let's say you know multi gigabit sizes, you probably want to look for something else. But for a logging program, SQLite is perfect. I mean, you can spin up a a separate log file for each. A separate SQLite file for each log you do. Like you do a contest, you can put that into a separate log, so um, you can keep that isolated as a single event, and then you can uh, import that into your main log. Uh, it's you really, really uh, quick. I'm just I'm getting pinged here, so I'm just <laughs> looking at the notes real quick on the on the uh, chat room. Okay, it says uh, Emacs is dead. Thank you, uh, Don. Oh wait, he didn't actually say that. He said Emacs is originally written in Teco. Tico, whatever that is. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, Darren says SQLite and simple for MQTT on Node Red, and uh, eight megs and constantly swing. Whatever that means. I have no idea what that means, Ted. 
<laughs> I think that's out of context, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, format on the SQLite file is a is a binary format, so it does save itself as a, uh, um, I guess you would call it a blob or something like that, just a, a binary object on your file system. So you'll see it see it as a single file. You know, normally uh, my database.db or whatever you decide to call it. Um, <clears throat> it has the ability to create tables. Um, tables are basically uh, uh, a list of uh, you know fields that define uh, how you structure your data for a, a given set of records. So like think about uh, a QSO is uh, is going to be have a certain set of fields like uh, call sign, uh, frequency, mode, so on and so forth. Those are your individual fields inside the database. And rows would be, you know, my contact with Russ, you know, that's one row, my contact on the, you know, so on and so forth. So very much expected, uh, you know, most people understand the concept of like Excel and a spreadsheet. Uh, think of every tab on a spreadsheet is a table in the database, um, except for Excel doesn't scale. <laughs> so don't use it as a database for very long. Although I know lots of people that use Excel as a uh, as a logging software for themselves. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it though. <laughs> Especially when you have to start switching it to the binary format, XLBs, and uh, yeah, because it starts falling apart when you hit over 24 megs. Um, but uh, anyway, SQLite, great, great. Uh, applications that use SQLite uh, that we found is a PyQSO, K-Log, SO2SDR, uh, CloudLog, uh, QLog, YFKLog, and YFKTest. So quite a few logging applications use this. Um, it's very flexible. Uh, again, like I say, if you can create a new file for certain types of uh, data, especially do contests and stuff like that, you'd want to create a new file to kind of store that in. Nice part about being a software developer, you can actually just customize that database to be a specific schema for the contest. So you can dynamically create it and have just the fields you need for the contest instead of having all the extraneous fields that you need for you know, just general DX logging and stuff like that. So it does open up a lot of possibilities of, uh, of creating some custom uh, custom databases for each individual um, activity that you do with your piece of software. Uh, so this is not something you can open with a text editor. So there are applications that allow you to uh, basically mount the DB file, the SQLite file, and then gives you a, a query editor that uh, allows you to query the data within uh, the SQLite file. And the ones that we highlight here, a couple of uh, popular projects. One's called DB Browser for SQLite. Uh, and you can find that uh, link to that in the show notes. And another project called DBeaver. And a lot of people probably heard of DBeaver. I use it at work for connecting to a couple of different databases. And we'll mention it as we go to the other databases. But uh, what do you uh, what do you say about SQLite there, Russ? Well, SQLite is kind of like the step above a flat file database because it does have the ability to be referenced by a SQL query language or SQL, which is why it's called SQLite. The light part of it is because, as far as I recall, it's not transactional, right? It doesn't it doesn't do commits and things like that, or does it? Uh, I don't think it does transactions, but it doesn't. I don't. I think you can write a transaction. Well, let me look at it. Go ahead. Just keep going. Okay. Well, that, Find another that's question. probably cheaper than we need to go. But when we get up into things like MySQL and PostgreSQL, those are transactional. Those actually allow you to have the concept of a transaction log, and you can actually roll back to previous iterations and stuff like so that. SQLite. SQLite is an ACID-compliant database. So it that means it's fully transactional. It means it's atomic, consistent, isolated, and durable. So if uh, your uh, transaction doesn't fit uh, finish before the file is no longer being written to, it will not commit that to the database. Okay, so, excellent. So, yeah, it's an ACID-compliant uh, database. So, yeah, it's, it's really an awesome for standalone. The nice part about it is you don't have to spin up a server for it. You can normally embed this in your application with uh, just adding a, a simple library um, or, you know, uh, well, if you're a C++ or C developer, you can bring in the, uh, I guess, the header file or in C file or something. <laughs> I don't do that programming. 
<laughs> so, but yeah, it's really easy to add into your application. And uh, if you're already thinking in a SQL way, um, it's definitely a, a, a way to go. Um, compared to doing the other two options that we have coming up here, uh, which require running an actual server, uh, this this stays with the application and doesn't require you having to install extra an extra software, have an extra running process on your machine in order to do the reading and writing to this particular database file, which I think is is excellent for especially loggers, um, because yeah, you don't need the complexity of of a you know full database server uh, to write simple logs for a, you know a contest or what have you um yeah so <laughs> the uh, one minor disadvantage there being that you have to have the database file the, the sqlite data on the same machine as your application unless you're doing some craziness with netcat or something which you could probably make sqlite you know tcp ip compliant but that's not really what it's for and the other step up from flat file databases, which we sort of mentioned briefly in passing, is that it has indexes or has the concept of indexing. So it creates a much more scalable environment. Indexing allows for much faster and more efficient searching of data in the database. So, you know, you won't have that you know, one gigabyte flat file text you're trying to scan through with grep or whatever. You can actually create indexes for much faster data recovery and data searching. So yeah, which will make your you know dupe checking and stuff like that or lookups for previous contacts pretty quick. Um, yeah, you won't you won't see a lot of hard disk activity trying to bring that up. <laughs> you know, because uh, munging through a big flat file. Um, I was also going to so, mention they uh, you could do it over remote. Um, TCP IP or what have you, <laughs> using uh, you know some kind of file handling between the two, whether that be a NAS or something like that. But uh, you do have to add that into the reliability factor uh, because that becomes also a single point of failure for the connectivity to that file. So um, you know where your machine is, even though your machine is technically a single point of failure too. <laughs> there's a multitude of things that could go wrong besides that. Now, you could lose your network and still be logging. You could lose your screen and still be logging, I guess, because you could plug it in a remote screen or an external screen. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to do a lot uh, to 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 kill the on your local machine. Finally, just a little bit about SQLite itself. If you want to connect to a SQLite database, you just use the command SQLite. Uh, generally SQLite 3, because I think most everything is SQLite 3 at this point, and then the name of the database, and then you'll be in uh, the SQLite shell, basically. And the commands with SQLite are prefixed by a, a dot, a period. So you can do things like dot databases, dot tables, dot schema, dot indexes, stuff like that. And also dot help is very useful. It tells you all the different SQLite things you can do. And then if you don't preface a command with a dot it assumes that it's sql it's query language so that's where you do your selects and alters and drops and and all that kind of stuff that's normal sql database stuff but if you just want to use some of the internal functions of sqlite use the dot and dot help is definitely your friend and then dot quit of course is how you get out of the sqlite shell so that's a really really fast way to get into sqlite 3 but of course just connecting to the database file, whether it be on your local machine or an NFS mount or whatever, and typing .help will will sort of get you there. And then if you want to learn SQL query language, <laughs> that's that's uh, not for us to talk about. <laughs> years so and it, years and years. No, just kidding. <laughs> it, it can be, depending on how, how deep into it you want to go, for sure. So VK contest log, that's Darren mentioned that, and that's not something we're familiar with, but apparently it's a contest logger that exists. Did you look this up real quick or yes i did it's uh yeah the home of vk contest log vkcl version 4.15 uh just released in august 2021 um yeah i haven't uh i haven't looked at it beyond that i'm on the web page i was just gonna put that in the show notes so somebody else wants to look at it they can it's uh looks like it's for a specific the portable operations challenge maybe i don't know is that the Um, frank thing the k4fml so no, the no, this is in Australia. Oh, well, that's sort of worldwide, isn't it? I mean, 
Yeah, and like Dan says in the chat room too, you can you know do, use SQL is useful for you know working on your WordPress site or your uh, blogging site as uh, he's using it for his WordPress site. Oh, um, I, have, I have manipulated many datas. Yes, many data. <laughs> many many data inside <laughs> of WordPress using SQL. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So once you learn it, it, it becomes pretty handy, and uh, occasionally you want more. Want more than what SQLite can give you in the SQL world? You know, maybe you want—I don't know—maybe you want like stored procedures or functions or <laughs> a bunch of icky stuff to put into your database. Well, then you want the next one that we have on our list here, <laughs> and that's MySQL or uh, MariaDB, since they're pretty much uh, protocol compliant and uh, one separated from the other. Um, maybe uh, Russ, you can probably go over. MySQL MariaDB in a uh, advantages disadvantages uh, way. All right, the MySQL and SQLite are going to seem very familiar. If you've used one, you'll probably be sort of familiar with the other one. They they all use you know structured query language SQL. That's kind of the whole point and why they're called SQL. The advantages to something like MySQL or MariaDB, which are essentially the same thing, although I think the the reason for the MariaDB fork is because MySQL is is not open source anymore or was sort of headed in that direction, I think. So I, I'm pretty much in, using entirely MariaDB anymore, not, not MySQL. And uh, so it doesn't really matter. But the idea behind this is it's a it's a server. It has a server architecture and a client that connects to it. Because it is a server, you can actually connect to it through like a Unix socket if you're just on a local machine, or you can connect to it through TCP IP if you want to. It does allow you to open up a port, which is normally 3306, and of course that can be altered or whatever. But So this gives you the full-blown capabilities of a database engine, which can be accessed across a network if you so choose. So it's much more powerful in that sense. And MySQL slash MariaDB also has the ability to use different database engines. So you can use the traditional MySQL database engine, which is essentially a binary encoded flat file, or actually many binary encoded flat files because there's one per table in your database. But, and then if you look on the file system, you'll see a directory which has the name of your database. And then in that directory is all of the, the files. And there'll be like an index files, like a VFI or a VFD or something like that. I don't remember the exact actual, the actual uh, file structure, something like that. But if you want more robust things, you can use some of the backend um, engines like InnoDB, which allow for full transaction logging and, and rollback and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's very powerful. The, the drawback, of course, is that it is a service. You have to run it that way. And so it can be heavyweight. And it's for something like a logging application, doesn't really give you a whole lot of advantages because you're not going to be doing, you know, complex queries with inner and outer joins and setting up views and stuff like that with all the craziness that you can do inside of these big databases. So for these applications, is not particularly practical, which is why we keep talking about the fact that CQR log uses it and shouldn't, but <laughs> but it does. Um, and so you have to be kind of mindful of that. And uh, Bill, do you want to do you want to go back over your the troublesome CQR log in MySQL? <laughs> yeah, I mean we've we, you can always check out our video on the uh, on our YouTube channel. But um, yeah, we tried three different operating systems or three different distros and tried to install CQR log out of the repos, and uh, we could not get it to create the the database uh, in CQR log. When you click the create database button at the very beginning when you launch the app, which basically makes it useless uh, for the user, unless they're like me that already has the database from the you know a different install that was working, and I just happened to switch to that operating or that di- distribution, and uh, I didn't have any issues. Um, but yeah, if you wanna wanna laugh, watch watch the video, <laughs> and you can see uh, some work, some don't. Um, and so so what CQR log does with uh, MySQL 
or MariaDB. MariaDB is the preferred engine to actually use uh, for CQR log. Uh, if you actually attach their PPA, it will definitely force uh, that MariaDB uh, will get installed on your Ubuntu system. Um, it uh, it does launch the server, but it writes the files locally to the CQR log directory, which is in your uh, uh, .config slash CQR log directory, and I think databases or something like that. But it, it keeps all the files there. Now uh, you could, I'm not, I haven't done it, but I'm pretty certain you can also set that up to go to a remote database as well. But uh, your mileage may vary on that. I wouldn't. <laughs> if, if it doesn't work writing its own files locally, it uh, probably won't work right remotely. Well, um, you have but to that, change your MySQL config also to reference the local databases because by default, I think in most systems, slash var slash live slash MySQL is where databases normally go. Right. If so you if run it writes the server. It, yeah, so if it writes it to your local files, it's not going to actually be anywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it does run a custom instance of MySQL server for your setup. So if you already have a MySQL databases on your system, in theory it shouldn't mess with any of that stuff, you know, sitting down in varlib MySQL. So, uh, in theory, I actually haven't I haven't done it on one that had an existing database setup. I, I should try that though, <laughs> just to see if it <laughs> see if it would really get worse. Um, yeah. So uh, the other applications we found that uses a MariaDB and MySQL interchangeably would be a Cloud Log, um, which makes sense because it's a web based <laughs> web based uh, logger. So uh, it's generally going to be attaching to a database, much like uh, WordPress attaches to a database or you know drupal or any of those uh applications that are web-based drupal how up. old are you yeah <laughs> coding uh laravel uh, <laughs> uh what's the uh, python um zope Zo- oh god yeah zope I, I, <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure zope uses postgres though um because i no, think that's what's- maybe now it does but it had its own proprietary database Oh, not great. using Postgres. Yeah, it was it was different. It was, it was, it was yeah. There's a whole thing about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna give me triggered me now. I'm gonna be like, Ugh. I remember installing a, a custom limbs application inside of a Zope environment, and yeah, it's just it gets ugly after after a few minutes. Anyway, <laughs> don't do it. Anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's definitely a good good use case for using a full blown. RDBMS like uh, MySQL and MariaDB uh, for web-based applications or server-based applications where you may want to separate out your data structure and your data away from your applications for performance reasons. Um, But in general, for a local machine, a local desktop machine working local files, it would be considered a bit of an overkill to... uh, to do that, especially in this use case for for logging applications. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't used YFK, so I don't know what that's like. Um, but yeah, it definitely seems like overkill for what CQR log actually logs in the files, and that could definitely sit on on top of SQLite, and then maybe all the installation problems would go away. <laughs> but yeah, I did look at the so. code, and I'm not con- I'm not convinced that I I can write Pascal good enough to <laughs> to uh, write a SQLite version of that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's it's a bit foreign to me. One one other layer that Maria at DB and MySQL add to the mix is because they can be used in a network environment. They introduce authentication and permissions. So yes. that's another layer of things you have to be concerned about when using databases like MariaDB and PostgreSQL and things like that, which are network available, is you have to manage the authentication to actually connect to the database server and then also permissions on your various indexes, your various uh, tables and so on and so forth. So it does it does certainly add a layer of complexity and a layer of heaviness to the whole database thing. And again, for these logging applications, really not necessary, generally speaking. 
Uh, in the case of CloudLog, it's a little bit different because since CloudLog is run via web app, essentially, it, it can be distributed. It can be uh, often widely distributed. And so something like MariaDB makes sense for that kind of application. But for a local logger like CQR Logger, Xlogger, Tusnok, or any of those other ones, I mean, some, something on your local file system like SQLite is more than adequate. Yeah, absolutely. I was just looking at the engines for uh, for uh, Maria uh, MySQL. Uh, they still have the black hole engine, <laughs> which sends everything to Dev Null. Your <laughs> favorite one? That's the one you should definitely set your logging application to. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I think uh, once upon a time MySQL did everything in a, in the standard MySQL database format or database engine, the MyISAM. The MyISAM, yeah. But I think now I think everything defaults to NODB. So yeah, that was the I think that was like one of the early departures with MariaDB when they went over they defaulted to NODB to start with, and um, there was yeah there was an issue, a couple of issues was a MySQL needed to make money, <laughs> like right. most projects once they get to a certain point in time in their life cycle. Um, and uh, and there was an issue with the license of the NODB at the time too, and I think that's what happened is that uh, they they created a a pretty hard fork, um, at, at that point for MariaDB, if I remember correctly, because this was this was a, what, ten, twelve, twelve, maybe more. Yeah, years it's ago? been a while for sure. And one thing I will say though is you might as well just use MariaDB, especially in the open source space, because between the two of them. There, there are differences, of course, because they have been forked, and so the code base has split over time. But functionally, kind of like in the way CentOS is a derivative of Red Hat, MariaDB is the same MySQL derivative, and they're functionally identical for the most part. So you, if you know one, you, you'll know the other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, we have uh, MariaDB on a few uh, production boxes so uh, at work. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely it's usable in a production environment. It's that's that good. It uh, yeah, no no worries, <laughs> no worries whatsoever in using it for your app. But again, possibly a bit of an overkill for uh, a desktop application. Um, and I guess that's enough about that. Um, another alternative that's pretty much I I I, I want to say it's the same. <laughs> As MariaDM, MariaDB, and MySQL, but people will shoot me. Is <laughs> Postgres, PostgreSQL, and uh, I think they have a, I think they have a, a, a commercial counterpart called what Enterprise DB. Is that what the commercial counterpart is called? I, I am deliberately learning as little as I can about Postgres. <laughs> so <laughs> there's our PostgreSQL hater. This is like the Emacs and BI uh, thing going on here between uh, MySQL and Postgres. Um, like we were talking about earlier, if, if you started with Postgres, you're, you only use Postgres. <laughs> if you started with MySQL, generally you're probably using MariaDB, <laughs> but you will, you will not use the other uh, because uh, PostgreSQL is, is, is a slightly different beast um, only because it was really built to take, I guess, uh, the closest thing that it reminds me of um, when I was super heavy into databases would be kind of like Oracle, Oracle 8, Oracle 7, that kind of, that kind of style. Um, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the more recent Oracle databases. I think I stopped looking at them at about 10G or something like that. But uh, Postgres reminds me, like, management-wise, the similar issues and, and oddities. Not really issues, I mean, but, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, th I think uh, Postgres claims, and I think they've done a bunch of, like, metrics and compared the two side by side. And so for, I think, for scalability and speed, I think overall Postgres is closer to enterprise class than, than MariaDB. But unless you're just doing massive, highly distributed databases, I think either one will work for you just fine. Uh, the the access to Postgres, the, the interface for accessing Postgres databases and all its authentication schemes and stuff like that are, are really different than MariaDB. Yeah. But... Once you're inside the databases, they're all asset compliance SQL based databases and they they are pretty similar and feel similar. But they, yeah. they definitely have different 
different client structures for sure. Right. And Postgres is more granular. I think they have a more granular permissions um, natively um, than, than MySQL. And it's, it's a different way of managing most of the issues that are most of the issues. I keep saying issues. It's not issues. There's no issues with that. <laughs> it's just different. It's different. And if you come from one world and try to go to the other, it's, it's going to seem a bit foreign. Um, yeah. yeah. As a user to a system, being a user on a system and being the root user or the super admin user <laughs> on a database, it's a different experience in general. And uh, Postgres allows you to really kind of fine tune that. Um, so that, you know, a connecting user can only see very specific stuff, roles and, and permissions. So authentication, authorization are highly enforced. Uh, it is a, it is a, it is a pretty fast system. I, we have a couple of, uh, production stuff on Postgres as well. <laughs> so I see, I see this every day, uh, as well as SQL server and stuff like that, uh, which we won't mention SQL server because ick, Microsoft. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's free now. You can actually use the, the, what, express version of SQL server and get it. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. And well, yeah, you've actually so, always been able to do that for a long time. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so you can have up to like a anyway, two yeah, gig a, database. <laughs> yeah, yeah, up to a two gig database. And and of course, uh, well, I could mention too. With, if we're gonna say Microsoft one more time, you also have the 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 they have a compressed file as well. So they also have a uh, kind of a SQLite format file for doing embedded stuff, which is kind of cool. Actually, I think N1MM uses that. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> we yeah, we're not gonna talk it, about. We we could have actually know. talked about. Um, SQL yeah. Server because I mean it's not it's not the awful beast it used to be. No, no, by any means it's not any worse than these as a desktop <laughs> right. alternative for storing data. Um, but yeah, let's let's stick on Postgres for right now. Uh, so yeah, advantages disadvantages same 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 same. You know, generally you're going to use this for some type of client and server based uh, architecture. Uh, would you want to put it in a desktop application that only needs to store data locally? Absolutely not. <laughs> too, too much overkill for for doing that. I mean, could you? Absolutely, you can do it. Uh, there's no, there's no real, nothing preventing you from doing that. Uh, DBeaver again on management is a great tool for doing that. That's that's what I use to connect to uh, Postgres at work. Um, you also have the the tool that gets uh, sent out with it when you install it. Um, like if you install Windows, definitely installs it. I can't remember if it comes default in the, the Linux packages, but there's a PG admin, which is the, uh, the Postgres admin tool. And I think it's, it's web UI based now. So it's, uh, it's even slicker. <laughs> so, uh, if I, if I remember correctly, I, I haven't used it in, in since like three or four, maybe, but I, I'm the almost certain CLI, it's a web app. The CLI access to Postgres is PSQL. So. PSQL. PSQL. That's the the client application to get you into the Postgres oh, oh, shell. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're talking about adminning, so I was just like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it has a console access uh, directly, you know, PSQL. Uh, I guess we didn't mention it with MySQL, did we? It's the same thing, MySQL. No, it's MySQL, but yeah, same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, every one of them will have a client um application even like sqlite had the client that that allows you to have the interpreter or the uh the command line interface for querying data selecting tables showing your schemas which is nothing more than a list of what what is either inside of a table or what's inside of a, a database or how many databases you have inside of your server uh, which you can have multiple databases so where we were talking with SQLite. You have multiple files for each database inside of uh, these things like MySQL and, and Postgres. You can actually have separate databases inside of the server. So you could have multiple projects running on the box, which kind of gives you that flexibility to not just serve one application, but you can serve multiple applications. That's why you see this in a uh, in a server context or server client context where you're using some kind of deployed web app or maybe even a uh, WebAssembly app or something like that that connects to the remote database through either an API or something like that. Um, you would see that uh, used in that context. 
for things like PostgreSQL and uh, MySQL MariaDB. Uh, applications that use Postgres, CloudLog. How about that? That's <laughs> because CloudLog is a is a PHP app, and it's using the uh, the PHP uh, library to uh, <laughs> to connect to a variety of databases uh, because it's you know it's a web technology. That's that's kind of you know what you what you build out when you build a web app. Uh, you generally build it to using some kind of some kind of library that uh, abstracts the uh, the the objects or the data away from the actual physical type of database whether that and which Postgres. was the one that which was the java one that used the jdbc so it could connect to anything dbeaver dbeaver oh dbeaver right right yeah dbeaver uses jdbc so uh you, you hear that uh jdbc odbc these are kind of like open not you know i don't say open but like yeah dbc so let's look they're, it up they're connectors basically they allow you to yeah. take a, a front end and connect to any compatible back end so, right. so that's why so it gives you an abstraction layer, yeah, that, that kind of interprets the commands the same way on the one side, which is the ODBC side or the JDBC side. And then the driver takes care of the interpret, you know, the, the connection on the other side. Um, now, with JDBC, you actually just, it's just a pure interface to the direct connection using Java. So it's a, a slightly different. ODBC is meant to be more of a, just a, it's a Microsoft thing, right? It's a, yeah, open database connectivity. So it's kind of like an right. API layer that sits on it's, top. It's almost of, like a plugin, generally speaking. Uh, applications will have like, you can have 17 or 18 different kinds of like database backends and your application doesn't really care what's, what they, what you're using because you put, you plug in the shim, the ODBC in between, and it just does the conversion between what the application is doing and the, the query language for the database on the other end. It's so. It's a translator, basically. Yeah, and the Java JDBC is very similar in in the same way. You can have a, a native driver, or you could have a bridge driver that you know does JDBC to ODBC. Yeah, it, it gets more complex after that. So, <laughs> but in general, way way more necessary for your typical logging applications. <laughs> yeah, and again, we stay in the context of logging. Again, it's it's way over 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 kill. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the moral of the story is use SQLite if you're going to run a, (laughs) an application on your computer, a desktop application, and you're going to need a database to store some data. It's probably the easiest to use. Now there are a bunch of other databases that I know we didn't talk about, but people probably have ran into, like there's a lot of no SQL, um, object databases. Uh, let's talk about like uh, CouchDB is one of those. Uh, they have uh, MongoDB, another one. Um, yeah, the list goes on and on. There's a million of them. You know, you can use uh, uh, DynamoDB, <laughs> all kinds of stuff from uh, Amazon Web Services. Uh, there's a column store database and Azure Web Services. Uh, but again, for a desktop logging client, probably excessive. <laughs> However, your data would uh, definitely be uh, safe. <laughs> Because <laughs> it would be up in the cloud. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I, I don't. I think this is kind of the end of what database databases we we're going to talk about because most of the other logging applications that we couldn't find uh, did not uh, disclose or did not uh, appear on our radar for us to find one of these ones that actually uses like a Mongo or something like that. Oh yeah, Neo4j. You can you can use Neo4j for your logs. That's a graph database, if I remember correctly. I think I played around with that before. Um, yeah, it's probably excessive. <laughs> Neo4j. Uh, yeah. Any other comments from the chat room? Maybe any other questions? Free online database sites to store your database. Uh, there are some like. I think well, like you can, places like DigitalOcean allow you to do essentially database-centric VPSs and stuff like that. So I think any yeah, site like that could could be used for that. Whether there's something that's strictly like a cloud DB kind of thing, I imagine there's probably a thousand of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, a database is nothing more than a file system. So things like you know, like Darren, you mentioned Dropbox. I mean, technically, yeah. I mean, yeah, you could store stuff in a way in which it could be read like a database. You could even put your uh, your SQLite database on your uh, Dropbox and then have it synced and then be able to open your application anywhere 
and access your data. So that, that would Since Dropbox cool. synchronizes like sort of quasi asynchronously, I'm not sure I'd rely on that. Well, but... I would have both both <laughs> applications or two different application instances talking and writing at the same time. <laughs> that might be a little dangerous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could definitely close one application and, and go to the other. And uh, yeah, GitHub. There you go. That's another idea. Especially if you're using flat files or whatever, you can do a check-in under your GitHub, those uh, database files, even uh, SQL, SQLite. But yeah, yeah, things could get, get out of hand. You have to really be aware of what you're trying to accomplish uh, when you start doing stuff like that. Um, if you want to keep your database remote for reliability, you know, then you kind of start looking at things that, well, I only want it to connect to the database when I'm actually writing or reading to it, and then I want it to disconnect. So like having a file handle open for connecting to SQLite or flat files would not be really useful. And you'd want to kind of you know lean towards a full server-based client architecture where your application could just talk to it, you know, via directly uh, on the database um, port out there on DigitalOcean or something like that, or through, a, through an API that sits in front of it. What other questions? I mean, databases can get really deep <laughs> oh yeah absolutely no we had that discussion before we started tonight because it's like you know how deep do we want to make this and not that deep because i mean you can i mean you know you can get a master's degree in database administration so so my pi acting as a server but it's stored files on dropbox so the only device accessing it yeah i mean that makes sense as long as you know your data your backend data is consistent it doesn't make any difference you definitely don't want to have a Dropbox share and have that database out there and have seven people writing to it simultaneously. That that's going to cause some problems. <laughs> so I, I think we've we've pretty well covered. I think what we want to cover and got people a little bit of information about how to maybe access some of the data that's in databases that are being used by applications they might use on a day to day basis and have some reasonable expectation of being able to go in there and at least look at the data if not manipulate it outside of the application that the data was created from and uh you know it's always good to have a, a couple extra tools in the toolbox i don't know where else we want to go with that if another question comes up we can certainly address it but it, with that i think we can move on and your did you find your compressed db thing no i forget what it's called but whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> i could connect to my other box and see um we will have links in the show notes to all of the things we mentioned tonight, all the different logging applications, all the different front ends, databases, clients, so on and so forth. So if you're really wanting to get into this and look for more information and get a little help with using the SQL query language and stuff like that, or at least it may be just jumping around into SQLite 3 and checking out what your logs look like inside of the database backend. You'd oh, be able I was to wrong. Do that. I was wrong. Oh, you were totally wrong. Okay. Oh, uh, no, about N1MM. It uses SQLite 3. Oh, see? Best best choice ever for yeah. database, yeah. for logging. Yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to remember because I have a weird, ex it's called S3DB is their extension, but <laughs> I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's, I think it's I think it's that weird one. But, no, I have used the, the embedded Microsoft one before for just some random projects. Yep, lots of different options out there, lots of different database technology, but it's all fundamentally the same. It's just file it's just data represented in a different way or stored in a different way so and uh, with that we should probably try and wake cheryl up so she can read the, the one bit of feedback we've got for this week but once she does that then we'll have well actually i'm not sure this might be sort of for everybody i don't think this was specific to bill so it was on one of your videos but it's not necessarily specific to to you so hopefully we'll have an answer i i, I mean i have <laughs> the short answer to the question is yes but uh let's go ahead and let uh, Cheryl, read this one out. Is that last name correct? Probably not, <laughs> but I think yeah. I, I think I did a cut and paste. Just just say it however you want to say it. Okay, so our one piece of feedback this time is a YouTube comment from Malka Schwartz or Schwartz. I'm not sure how if Russ misspelled it or not. Schwatters. 
There you go. That's <laughs> it. So, And the comment was, just wondering if Linux MX 19.2, Debian-based, will work with WFView. I use this flavor of Linux a lot, and I know it's popular, before I dedicate another commu- computer to Mint, Ubuntu, etc., for a try of WFView and my IC7300. Thanks. So, yeah, short answer, yes, <laughs> it works. WFU will run on any version of Linux. I guess there wasn't really much to say about that. All right. <laughs> and you got the right, you got one of the right rigs for WFU is based on the yeah. the later model ICOMs like the 7300 and 7500 and stuff like that that have the capability of exporting the pan adapter and stuff like that. You, you definitely will get the most bang for your buck with WFU with that particular setup. Yeah, so I don't get I don't get a waterfall on my screen. You don't yeah, get I don't get one on mine either. My 7100 doesn't have that capability, but it doesn't matter. I don't need it. It's working though now, right? The WFU it is for working. you? Yes. Oh, yeah. sweet, sweet. And it, it will take the audio and everything and transport it over the network, and as soon as they figure out the authentication piece, I might actually leave that set up. <laughs> don't want to leave your radio open to the world no, don't exactly want a hand rig control over to just anybody passing by no not really so. <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> well if it stays on your inside of your network right do then you can do it well yeah but i mean it, yeah inside my network is fine but i mean if you post it outside they literally people can talk on my radio with no authentication currently so Check that out and maybe hook that up to my IC703. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That way I can work it remotely from uh, <coughs> from uh, Ireland. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Steve says, yeah, but I'm looking for a remote station. Well, you can find a remote station. You just can't use mine. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you want one with a big, uh, big tower and everything else like that. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, find somebody yeah. who's got a real antenna. Yeah, you don't want to wet somebody with a wet noodle out the backyard there. <laughs> the antenna is leaning over about 12 degrees from all the yeah. wind. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, that brings us down to the end of the show. And speaking of Steve in the chat room, we should mention the folks who are with us tonight here hanging out. We had Steve, K7HVT, Don, KC9ZMY, Darren, VK6EK, Ted, WA0EIR, Tony, K4XSS, and Dan, KB6NU. So thanks, everybody, for being here. We really appreciate it. Hope you uh, had fun tonight, uh, or at least mildly entertained while listening to this, and maybe even mildly educated. <laughs> Who knows? Because now you know what we know about databases, and as you can tell, it's not much. So anyway, let's go ahead and wrap this one up and get on out of here. And once again, we appreciate all of you who download the program and who support us financially to help keep the lights on. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we hope you have a great week. This has been episode number 442, a very high-level deep dive into databases for logging applications on Linux in the Hampshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8pm Central Time plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store 
at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. <laughs>